volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Welcome to the final episode of season one of Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast. I am Sal Sylvester, your host and founder and CEO of 512 Solutions and executive coaching and leadership development firm here in Boulder, Colorado, helping leaders create healthy and aligned organizations that enable humanity to thrive. I'm also the founder and CEO of Coach Metrics, cloud-based technology we developed to measure behavioral change in coaching and leadership development. I am thrilled to have you join us today. Hard to believe that this is our final episode of season one. It's been a fabulous first season where we've interviewed executives and thought leaders about how our work and our world is changing and what that means for the future of leadership. Today, we come to you with a very different format than what we've done in the past, and I think you're going to like it. If you've been listening, you know that this podcast is all about the future, and most of the episodes that we've recorded have been interviews with some fabulous guests. What you don't know is that I asked each guest a bonus question in a separate recording that wasn't originally released in each podcast. So today, you're going to get to hear from all of our guests from season one and their responses to the bonus question that I asked. As I had the opportunity to listen back on these recordings and reflect on what I heard, a few things came to mind. First of all, just a sincere amount of gratitude for each of these leaders and the time that they took and and gave to all of us. And mostly, I was inspired, inspired by how intentional each of these leaders are and were and still are in how they approach people and the business. And what came up for me was that leadership is a practice. It's not something that's done, that's completed or checked off our list. Instead, it's something that we need to work on and should work on every day, focus on and continue to develop around every single day. And it's, it's no different than self-development, really. In fact, it is self-development. And leaders that are most intentional in how they practice leadership build remarkable amounts of commitment with their people. So let's jump back into season one and hear from each of these inspirational leaders as they respond to the bonus question. In July, I had the pleasure of interviewing Von Rea, the Global Director of Engineering at Trimble. And in that episode, we looked at how leaders can use a global mindset to adapt and be successful in a rapidly changing world. Von had an interesting response to his bonus question around fear of failure. So, Von, I have a bonus question for you today, and thank you again for being on the podcast. And the question is this. Let me set it up. When people start reframing the questions that they have in life, they change their thinking. They change how they see things. I'm wondering if you have a favorite question that you're considering or that you ask your people or, or even your workforce. 
That's interesting, Sal. I think, as I referenced, I've been reading a lot about this fear of failure and how to kind of attack that. And in one of the sources, the question came up that really stuck with me. And that question was, what would you do differently if you knew you couldn't fail? And I think it's a good question to pause and say, what, what should I be doing differently if, mm-hmm. if the consequences are not that bad? Yeah. How does that question get people and leaders to think differently? It should, because I don't think people ever ask it. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not our natural tendency to think that way. So I would say probably just asking the question would be the first step. But I do think it would broaden the horizon of the scenarios dramatically. You wouldn't necessarily limit your thinking to the particular problem. It's a great point. And the question itself, to me, seems like it shifts people out of making fear-based decisions. And it's hard to operate from a greater sense of purpose or vision. In fact, you can't operate out of that higher sense of self when you're operating from a place of fear. So in some ways, that question helps people think about things from a different perspective. Absolutely. And that's a a great question. I'm glad you're asking us all that. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Thanks, Vaughn. Absolutely. I loved Vaughn's response because when we ask ourselves what we would do if we knew we couldn't fail, it completely opens our thinking to a more expansive mindset that helps us remove our limiting thoughts. Also in July, we released an episode with Tammy Krings, the CEO of Conversations That Matter and one of our top-notch executive coaches on our team at 512 Solutions Consulting Group. Tammy and I talked about insecurity and how it influences corporate culture Tammy also shared her expertise on different leadership styles and how leaders can move beyond a one-size-fits-all approach to be more effective. So Tammy, part of the coaching that you do, the coaching that we do together and even separately, we both know that when people reframe the questions that they have for themselves, their personal life, their professional life, whatever it is, they start thinking differently. So I'd love to know what's Mm -hmm. one of your favorite questions that you either like to ask clients or maybe yourself or others in in your life? Yeah. So one of my favorite questions is what part of this do I own? Mm. And I think sometimes we forget the responsibility we have in that relationship or in that situation, whether it be we're making more meaning than there is actually there, or sometimes our emotion has overpowered the situations that we don't see it as clearly as we once did. And then a reframing on that question is what part of this is mine to own? In other words, sometimes we get so attached that we can't separate ourselves and be objective. And so, you know, what part of this do I own, but also what part of this is mine to own so that I can better understand how attached I should be to the situation or can I free myself up a little bit? and realize that there were a lot of other factors here. So I look at that more so when I'm coaching leaders that take a lot of responsibility for the way the team is functioning, and they forget there may be outside factors versus just their leadership showing up. So we can really unpack a little bit of what is happening in that situation or in that moment so we can see a different future as they'd like to lead differently. That's my favorite question. Thank you, Tammy. You're welcome. Thank you. Similar to Tammy, one of my go-to questions in executive coaching is, what is the contribution that you have for the results that you're getting? Whether it's related to 
high turnover on your team, a business metric, poor performance, or low morale. There's a number of factors that contribute to any business result or issue at hand, but great leaders always ask first how they are contributing to the results that they're getting. In June, I had the pleasure of connecting with Eric Rosa. Eric is the former CEO of DataLogix, the former SVP and GM of Oracle Data Cloud. He's the founder of CrossFit Sanitas, and he sits on a number of corporate boards. Eric and I focused on what it takes to build a healthy culture. And he had an interesting point of view in his bonus question around gratitude. Eric, I know a lot of what you're doing at this point in your career, and and probably is part of what you've been doing for a long time, is coaching and mentoring CEOs and others. What I've found is that when people start reframing the questions in life, they really start changing their thinking. I'd love to know if there's any go-to questions that you have for people to help them think differently or change their mindset around anything. Yeah, there are a few. One that I really like to ask people, I really like to use this a lot in interviews, but I also like to just use it when I'm talking to people because I find it so interesting is, what have you learned in the past year and what have you kind of changed your mind about? I just love that question, right? I think, you know, I want to interact with people who are going to make me think differently and change my beliefs. I, I love spirited debate and I love being challenged. I, this notion of being just kind of gratified in what you already believe is nice and all, but that's not the really, that doesn't progress things, right? So I like to hear what people are learning and what they're kind of excited about and what's changed their point of view. So that's a big one for me. Another one is, you know, I've tried to be more and more deliberate about a gratitude practice as I've, you know, learned more about how that helps me be happier. And there's just so much science about what that does for you, right? And it's so easy to cultivate that practice. And it's so immediately rewarding and people don't even always realize it. So I like to ask people what they're most grateful about and push them. And I do this with my kids many nights at dinner, push them to get beyond the platitudes and the easy things that the science says. It's really interesting to get the benefit of gratitude practice. It's got to be novel and it's got to be specific. So if I do the standard thing of I'm so grateful for mommy and daddy and this food on our table and I mean, it's nice to say that, but I think it has no benefit whatsoever, actually. Unfortunately, it just, I mean, it sounds harsh, but it just doesn't. But if I think about that little bird that perched outside on the railing while we were talking and watching it flutter its wings and this notion that my mom was a big birder and she died in November and this notion that I am now grateful because every time I see a bird, I think of her. And that specific bird and what was it doing? Because I could give a crap about birds other than the connection to my mom, frankly. You know, I never, I never looked at birds before. They just weren't a thing for me. But now it's a connection to my mom's memory. Yeah. And so now every mm-hmm. single bird, I'm really, I would always, when my mom got sick, I would take pictures of birds and send them, text them to her because she wasn't mm-hmm. seeing as many. She wasn't going outside. And now I've got kind of no one to do that to, but I'm doing it in a different way, right? Where I'm the one who's got to notice now and appreciate the bird. And so these, it actually is the smaller, the better. And there's, there's actually, you know, evolutionary basis for this because we're constantly scanning the horizon for threats. And so you've got to consciously offset that by scanning the horizon for good shit. And we don't do that yes. naturally. That's not, it's not necessarily, yes. there's not an evolutionary benefit to that if the goal is reproductive fitness. But if yeah. the goal is to be happy for a long life, we've got to actually hack 
the genetics and yes. do that to offset it. And so that's a big one for me is asking people what they're grateful about and seeing how, if I'm just evaluating them, that it's like seeing whether they come up with stuff readily and are they in a victim mode? Are they a creator? But I also like to use it as a coaching moment to help shape them. And I do this a lot with my kids to help shape that gratitude mm -hmm. practice to specific novel things that are kind of as trivial as possible. Yeah. Like how great is life? If you can always take pleasure in these tiny little things, you know, whatever, whatever it be. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. A daily gratitude practice has become part of my morning meditation and priming routine. For me, I personally put my hand on my heart. I visualize a moment that I'm grateful for, literally seeing what I saw, hearing what I heard, and feeling what I felt at the time. It's been very powerful for me and a great way to start my day. Are you interested in transforming your people into confident leaders, creating a healthier, more aligned organization? Then check out our new culture assessment we just released based on our human workplace needs model. It's a free download that will help you assess the current state of your team and organization and create an aligned and healthy culture that honors who we are as people while driving business results. You can find it in the podcast section of our website in this episode's session notes. Now let's go back to our season one guests. In September, I met with Suzanne Daigle. During this episode, we strategized about how agility will be critical to success in the future. Suzanne is an authority in organizational self-management and other social technologies designed to ignite high potential and optimize human performance. Suzanne's response to me was a counterintuitive answer on how to move quickly. All right, so Suzanne, bonus question for the day, which is one of the things that I've learned is that when people start reframing the questions they ask in life, they start to change their thinking, they start to see new possibilities. What's one of your favorite questions? Well, my favorite question of the day is, what's the rush? Oh. Now, pretty simple question. What's the rush? I mean, yeah. we're rushing to everything in today's world. Mm -hmm. We're rushing to get this result. We're rushing to learn. We're rushing, rushing, rushing. And we're missing our life. And I always have said to myself, before I got involved in this work, I could have missed my life but I needed to pause a little bit. And in the pause, the juicy pause of self-management, of learning, of opening space for a pause to leaders and all of us, mm. it's where the real magic of now is happening. It's where the real relevant information is, but we're so rushed to get to where we're going that we're missing out on what will help us the most. So as they say, you know, take time to smell the roses. Well, what's the rush? We'll never have now again. So what's the rush? Thank you. There's so much wisdom in Suzanne's words. And it's directly at odds with the typical questions that organizations ask, which is, how can we move faster? Slowing down and taking a pause can often provide the path for being able to do that, move faster. And I think underlying Suzanne's question about what's the rush is an element of mindfulness where we can be more aware of what's happening for us internally within ourselves 
so that we can lead externally with more intention. In season two, we'll be exploring the topic of mindfulness in more depth, as there is undisputed evidence now about the link between mindfulness and performance, whether that performance is measured in business or in life. More on that in a later episode. In October, I hosted Beth Smith, and we explored how to hire top talent in a globally tight labor market. I have personally used her framework at 512 Solutions as we've expanded our team, and it is by far the best framework I've seen for hiring in an efficient and effective way. Beth's response was similar to the question Tammy Krings asked, but with a twist. All right, Beth, thanks for being here today. Bonus question is around questions. And I know that when people start reframing questions they ask themselves or others in life, it changes everything. It changes their thinking. It changes what they focus on. It changes how they see the world. What is one of your favorite questions? So one of my questions that I ask myself daily is, Either what part did I play Mm. in that and or did I take care of my part of the planet today? Mm. And so one of the ways, you know, that we can get so wrapped up in school shootings and violence and fraud and, you know, all the headlines and the head trash that that can create. And one of the ways that I have learned how to deal with that kind of onslaught of negativity is, did I take care of my part of the world today? And whether it's reaching out to my neighbor who just had surgery or sending out a thank you note or picking up the phone, calling somebody that's been on my mind or picking up the trash around my yard or whatever the case may be, did I do my part today for the planet, the world, whatever? And I find that when I reframe things to take responsibility for my part in the world, then I'm calmer, I'm more driven, Mm -hmm. uh, more purpose-driven, actually, and I feel more settled, like I'm going in the right direction. And I had a business consultant one time say to me, make two calls a day and then look for miracles. And so at the end of the day, I say, what part in my day, what miracles did I see that say to me, I'm doing the right thing. I'm going in the direction that I need to go. And I just need to keep moving in that, in that way. So that's my answer. That's really beautiful. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. My pleasure. I loved Beth's connection to the larger impact we make in this world. I'm currently working on a human workplace needs model, and it's a model about what people need and and how employers and organizations can help meet those needs to retain top talent and build an engaged workforce. The top and and highest level need that I've seen employees ask for consistently, especially across the millennial and Gen Z generations, and it's a question they ask that leads to fulfillment at work. The question is, am I making an impact through my work to our community? Does our work matter? Is it making a difference And that's part of what I see in Beth's response, because when we do good work and we also do good for our community at the same time, everything becomes possible. In August, I interviewed Chris Sword, the president of Pearl Izumi, cycling's iconic brand in fashion and footwear. Chris is a purpose-driven leader who knows how to drive innovation and build a healthy work culture. In our time together, he shared how he tapped into his talented employees early on to evolve the company's brand and values. 
So Chris, one of the things that I know as a coach is that when we start reframing questions that we have in life or at work, we start changing our perspectives and our thinking. I know you've mentored a lot of people, both through sports tech accelerators and leaders at work and people at work. I'd love to know what's one of your favorite questions as you're coaching, challenging, and, and mentoring other people? You know, Sal, that's a wonderful question. And it depends on the scenario, but it's such a good probing question to think about what is that one thing that is somewhat consistent. And if I had to go with that, then it would be relatively simple, but it would depend on the you know context, of course, of the circumstance, but it's why, right? Mm. This is what I plan to do with my company. Why? This is where I plan to spend my money. Why? You know, this is what I'm planning to do. You know, why are you planning to do that? You, know, you could draw the analogy to toddlers that ask why all the time, which is in some ways it's annoying, but in some ways it's, it's thoughtful. And if we can apply that as, as adults to dig a little bit deeper, then I think there's real strength in that to better understand why it is you're planning to do what you do. And others have even taken it so far, I think, to say, you know, I forget what the number is. Maybe it's five times, right? Ask the right. question, why five times? Yes. And really get to the root of what it is. And I, and I think that in a lot of different situations is a good way to probe. Mm. There's an element of curiosity that comes naturally with that sure. question. Chris, thanks. For sure. Appreciate having you on the show today. Thanks, Sal. Understanding the root cause of any issue in the workplace is critical. And great leaders know how to do this. I think that's really what Chris was getting to with his question about why. And then having the ability to drive action planning moving forward. One simple but great coaching tool that we often use in our executive coaching programs is related to what Chris asked about why. And it's four simple steps. Number one, what did we intend to do? Number two, what actually happened? Number three, what did we learn? Number four, what's next? A very simple after-action assessment can turn all of our learnings from asking why into action and follow through. Finally, let's go to our first guest, Mark Samuel. From early June of 2019, Mark is a thought leader in the field of accountability, and his latest book that we discussed is called B-State. I saved this one for last because with Mark's great operational experience, I had a different question for him, and I asked him about what's wrong with meetings in our workplace today. Let's listen to his response. So Mark, bonus question for today's session. I was working with a client the other day and literally in, in this workshop, he said, Sal, I've got eight to 10 meetings a day. They're all about 60 minutes each, back to back. There's no time for me to get work done. From your perspective, what's wrong with the state of most meetings today and what needs to change? I think there's several things wrong. Let me see if I can do this quickly. First of all, the biggest thing that's wrong right now is we have legacy meetings that aren't purpose-driven. Mm -hmm. So we've set up meetings in the past because we needed them to solve something, what have you. But then we set up another meeting, and unfortunately, I get the same 30% of information in one meeting in the other meeting, if not a higher percentage. So all of a sudden, I feel like it's a waste of time. Second big breakdown in meetings is that meetings are too often information sharing, presenting meetings, rather than problem solving, making decision meetings. Yeah. And the real purpose of meetings has nothing. To, I mean, you can share information in multiple ways. And sometimes you need to have that collective answer question when you're presenting information. So I, I don't blame that at all. But here's the deal. You don't move forward unless you're taking action, making decisions, unless you're solving problems, 
that exists. You're not progressing. And it's problems today that require collective feedback. Really, we should think about meetings as your critical thinking opportunities. It's getting people in the room with different perspectives and diverse thinking abilities to look at a problem and find creative and innovative solutions. Because when we're trying to solve a problem in our own functional area, we're too close to it. And so we've lost that objectivity. We gain great objectivity by getting other people to weigh in and give different perspectives. So in my viewpoint, we ought to be surfacing the biggest challenges and the biggest problems at meetings to solve them in the meeting or identify the group that's going to solve them in the meeting with clear outcomes, clear timeframes, clear execution, and clear accountability. Then all of a sudden, meetings have a purpose and people are going to want to show up to the meetings because it's fun to be part of solving problems, making decisions, and seeing things progress. That's what meetings should be for. One of the first goals we give middle management teams when we get them together as a united team Relook at all of your meetings and find ways to either eliminate or minimize the amount of time that's used in those meetings so they're purpose-driven, solving problems, making decisions, and moving the organization forward. Now, let's see what happens with your meetings. Thanks, Mark. One of the things that we found as we've coached and worked with executive teams across the globe related to Mark's answers is that especially at the executive team levels, Teams waste time, but the answer isn't about time management or techniques to improve meetings. The answer lies in understanding the team's purpose. Most leadership teams don't understand their purpose, so they operate at the wrong level, they focus on the wrong things, and they end up spending their time simply reporting out on information instead of solving critical business problems or identifying the most important opportunities and priorities. So start with team purpose. Then from there, define your team's meeting and communication strategy. Team purpose ultimately should be what drives what's on your team's agenda. Thank you for joining me today and during season one. Please take a moment to provide a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in. That's always helpful, so thank you in advance. And we'll be back with season two in November with more amazing people and content. You'll also hear more about how to create a healthy and aligned organization and how to bring humanity back into the workplace. And if you want to learn more about how we can help transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders that are prepared for the future, please check out our website at www.512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. Don't forget to download the free culture assessment that I mentioned earlier in the show, and you'll find a link to it in the episode session notes on our website at 512solutions.com. I look forward to reconnecting for season two in a few weeks. I'm out.